You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome. You have landed at Neurodiversity with Theo Smith, co-author of the award-winning book Neurodiversity at Work and LinkedIn Top Voice. We are going to delve into the rich world of neurodistinct experiences, from heartfelt personal stories to enlightening expert insights. We will explore the world of neurodiversity and neuroinclusion, celebrating the uniqueness of diverse minds. Whether you're neurodistinct, identify as neurodivergent, or simply eager to understand more, this is your space to connect, learn, and grow. And together, let's discover the spectrum of human thought. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Neurodiversity with Theo Smith and friends. And today, I'm joined by an incredible comedian. Well, kind of comedian by night and um, corporate world by day. I think this is kind of a a typical, um, somebody who's not fitted in, maybe somebody whose brain is uh, working in a little different way to others, finding other mechanisms to keep their brain busy. I don't think this is that uncommon, but uh, often not talked about as much. Today, we're going to hear from the incredible Sasha Frank, uh, and I've had the pleasure of just listening to some of her snippets of comedy, because I'd have to travel across the world to really see her life. Maybe one day, right? Maybe one day I'll be lucky enough where you come to the UK and deliver a performance there. But lovely lived experience, um, incredible joy she brings to the audience and the stage, and very much in the moment, right? Literally feeding off what's in front of her. And I bet she brings her skills to a day job uh, in exactly that context as well. So, a wonderful introduction to the incredible Sasha Frank. Sasha Frank, welcome. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, uh, who you Thank are, what you, you do. Thanks, Theo. So, uh, yeah, I'm Sasha Frank. Uh, as you say, I am uh, living here in Singapore. I live over in Asia. I'm from the UK originally. I'm, I'm from London, born and bred. Um, I, I do have a, a day job, as you say, and by night and at the weekends, I am a stand-up comedian, uh, which I've been doing actually for not super long, just coming up for a couple of years. Um, but I kind of, people ask me how long I've been doing it. I feel like I've been in comedy in some way my whole life. I've been acting since I was two years old. I've done improv forever. And it was only really a couple of years ago. I thought, how do I really want to apply this? I might give stand up comedy a try. And I did it once and I was hooked. I remain hooked and it has completely, completely changed my life incredible yes i and maybe there's something in this right in the way that the human brain works is uh kind of the improvisation was my best area of performance and acting it was the area where i thrived most i enjoyed most 
and where I was just able to go to levels that other people weren't able to go because my brain went there very quickly. Um, so I'm interested yes. in that connection, which we can talk about more uh, as we go on. But tell us a little bit about the journey then. Who is Sasha Frank? Like, tell us some of the early days, the journey you've made to only really kind of plugging into um, comedy now in, in this stage of your life. Where did that all begin? So I I suppose I, I was sent to acting classes young. I think it was probably obvious. My mum likes to say I like the sound of my own voice. But I was a very well-behaved kid. I wasn't one of these badly behaved kids. I was the opposite. But I was a bit, I was also quite a vocal. I talked a lot. I still do. Um, I you know, grew up, as I say, grew up in the UK. I always did well at school. It never came super easy to me, but it was never, it never felt like an option. It was just like, you have to excel. And I did, I come from a very working class family. Um, so, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to university, which was, which was something I'm really proud of. And I got into the corporate world at 21 because, you know, there, that I had to start earning some money, got into the corporate world at 21. Um, and I loved it. I, I still love it. It's a massive part of my life. I got married relatively early. I got married in my uh, sort of mid-20s. I have an amazing 10-year-old daughter. I've been divorced about um, five years now. And, you know, that is has been a massive, very positive change in my life. That was when I got back into acting, um, back into improv. And then, as I say, a couple of years ago, then decided that it was time to uh, finally tick something off of my bucket list. And that thing was stand-up comedy. Incredible. And yeah, it must be, I, I imagine, exciting, but also quite a daunting prospect. Um, uh, having those changes going in your life, still having somebody, a little person you're responsible for, which can't make it easy as well to balance, to be able to you know, um, to be able to do all of those things and to be able to have a fulfilling uh, kind of uh, a kind of sideline of comedy that you want to develop and, and really harness those skills. I mean, how how do you manage all of that? How do you manage that dual life? More than a dual life, right? Multifaceted yeah. life that you now have. So we're very fortunate here in Singapore. A lot of us have nannies. Um, and I do, and I have the best in the world. She's fabulous. She lives here with us. Um, so what I tend to do, I have 50-50 custody anyway. So I, um, although my daughter's primarily with me, but when she is with me, if I have shows to do, I tend to put myself on the lineup later in the evening. If I can, I will get her to bed. And then my nanny's here, obviously, overnight. My daughter's 10. She doesn't need me during the night. And then I go off. Singapore's tiny as well. So I have the benefit of getting out to a show and back, honestly, sometimes within 30 minutes if I need to. And then, of course, if I have big shows, if I'm hosting, then I do make an exception, like all parents do, uh, to be out the house a little bit longer. Uh, so that's how I, you know, that's how I manage that. And, you know, my day job is exactly that. It's during the day. If I know I'm going to have a busier week at work, um, I will not book myself in to do shows in the evenings. But, you know, the way I see it, plenty of people have evening hobbies. People go to the gym, people play tennis. So really, it's actually time wise, in some ways, no different from that. Wonderful. That makes complete sense. And where do you get the source of your material? Now, I've heard some, so I, I got ideas, lots of lived experience. But is it, um, are you one of those 
uh, comedians where you're able just to go on stage with that lived experience? Or is there a lot of planning and preparation that goes into those performances? So it's it's really an interesting one because early on, I would prep every last breath in a set that I did. So to go back to your first question, it comes from my life experience. I talk about parenting. I talk a lot about dating. If you probably looked at my, if you've seen my Instagram, that's what a lot of my material is about. Um, ironically, um, comedy is the thing that almost got me out of the dating pool. I was dating very heavily, would go on three dates a day. It's quite mad. Um, and then I found comedy, which makes me far, far happier. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's the experiences from that. Just to clarify, I'm always very kind about people. I'm not there to, uh, to talk badly of anybody, but, um, so, so it comes from that, but then to go back to what I was saying earlier, I used to prep down to the last word, every single breath, comma, everything. I'm at a different phase now in comedy where I do that less. Um, sometimes sometimes I, I probably should do should be more prepped so last night I did I was very fortunate I did a headlining set one of the first times I've been able to do that and I took a slightly different approach where I wasn't word for word prepped you know I know my material well I know what I'm talking about but it kind of surprised me that my brain has come further along down the line where I didn't feel like I had to recite and recite and recite. And actually, um, I had some friends come along last night and say, that's the best we've ever seen you. And I think that I personally do better, less, I shouldn't say less prepared, more off the cuff. And that allows me the flexibility to talk to the crowd, which is my favorite thing in the whole world, um, which is why I love to host comedy shows. And I do think, I, but I think it's different from for every comedian. Um, that's just how I, I work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant and lovely to see and that engagement with the crowd. And it's very positive. Um, you know, some comedians can be very deprecating of individuals in the crowd where you're this fun it's from yeah. what I've seen, there's fun there, which is great. Very inclusive of those people in the audience and bringing them into the conversation rather than making them kind of the the, the butt of the joke, and, uh, which is lovely. And so some of that journey as well uh, of experience, uh, I guess, where you said you didn't like it and now bringing that out to, you know, the thorny side of dating and uh, and going into some of those worlds and, and the conversations around Gen Z that I was seeing there and millennials. I found brilliantly funny. Yes. So, um, and, and I'm not, I, I, see, this is interesting. So I, I find comedy really difficult to, uh, to find funny. Um, but I find the lived experience bit that connects with me. Um, Billy Connolly is, is an example I really connect with. And I wonder, uh, I wonder how many um, comedians there are and the ones that I get who are actually ADHD or autistic and therefore that's why I get them because they're communicating in a way that I understand. How many more of them is there? I don't know, um, it, it is the reality. Um, and especially maybe later to life uh, and actors as well. Um, so uh, interestingly, we, we can probably think about that some more um, as, we, as we continue the conversation. But uh, so just tell me then, what I'm fascinated about is what, what, where was the point at which you realized, because I know it's later in life, the, the connection, to ADHD, um, the diagnosis, the journey. Tell me a little bit about that world and 
and and where was that aha moment and why why does it matter why did it care why the need to understand your brain uh in a great detail because you've been very successful yeah i have um i have some habits that i've always seen very negatively i am insanely messy um to to a really you know almost embarrassing point i just don't see the mess i don't care almost and i've always been like that i lose things all the time i live in complete chaos um you know my my desktop on my computer is just files everywhere i can't organize anything my real life is exactly the same and this has always plagued me and i just thought i was just not as bright as everybody else never mind i was book smart i just thought i was a just not that clever in the, in these senses and you know was less of an adult than everybody else and i never really it was just a, a thing about myself you know oh sasha loses all her bank cards sasha never knows where her keys are ha ha and then i was watching tiktok one day and i you know i know that's a terribly unofficial way to learn anything but i i was watching a tiktok and it was talking about adult women with adhd and it was just described me. And you know, when I was a kid, Theo, ADHD was for naughty little boys. That's what ADHD meant. You know, I was so far from the description of ADHD. Anyway, so I, I watched this thing on TikTok and I don't think I did a lot with it in true ADHD spirit, procrastinated and just thought that's something I'll look at another time. And I, um, I was I was in therapy. I was I was talking to a therapist about something and I can't remember what I said, completely unrelated, and she said, "Do you think you might have ADHD?" And I was like, "That's really funny because I actually do." So she did a, a test. She did like a, you know, a do I qualify test and I ticked every box and I was doing something else at the same time as she was doing the test, which in itself <laughs> is probably a sign that I have horrendous ADHD. I shouldn't say horrendous ADHD, high levels of ADHD. Um, and again, I still didn't do anything with that information. Then I moved jobs. I had been in the same uh, company for about 16 years. And I'd always worked under high pressure and I work well under high pressure. I know there's some science there around dopamine and how that works in ADHD. I work really well under pressure and my new job was less pressured. It also required me to have very good attention to detail. And these were skills that I have not had to hone in the same way and not where my strengths are. And I love this job. I love the manager I work for and I wanted to succeed. And when I realized I wasn't succeeding, I thought, okay, now's the time I have to go and get diagnosed. So I went to, so here in Singapore to, for an ADHD diagnosis, you go and see a, a psychiatrist. I went to a psychiatrist. He said, you are one of the most textbook cases I've ever seen in an adult woman of ADHD, um, gave me Ritalin and sent me on my way. And it just changed my life in the sense that I suddenly understood and understand so much about myself now and why my strengths are what they are. And, you know, I look back at things, even when I was at school, I, I was kind of friends with everyone. I didn't fit in every 
anywhere, but I could also fit in everywhere. Things like that that were just slightly different from other people. Obviously, the creative side, but of course, the downsides, the mess, the losing things, the forgetting things. Um, and it just suddenly all, all made a lot of sense. So that that's how I got to, to where I am now. Amazing. And just to touch upon the strengths then, if we think about some of those strengths and challenges, um, how long has it taken you to be able, and clearly this is a, a continuous journey, right? It, it never stops. But how long did it take you to realize the, the strengths and the challenges and where they overlap and how to support yourself? Because I suppose um, Ritalin, as you mentioned, is only one element to the overall appreciation and understanding. And it's, it sounds like, and this is not for everybody, so I think this is fascinating as well, of somebody who's been very successful in many areas of their life, certain things change within their life, personal elements to their life, changes in job, actually, some very positive things. These are not necessarily negative things. Some of these are, are life-affirming things, yet they were flags for you. They were flags to make you think, hang on a minute, just uh, talk us through some of those realization of those strengths and challenges and what they look like. You've shared some of them with us yeah. there, but... I think I, I spot more of them every day. I mean, I'm sure on stage it helps me. You know, this ability to talk to the crowd and um, to think on my feet is something that, you know, very flatteringly other comedians and the audience always say to me, wow, you do that so well, which is so nice because I'm only a couple of years in and I do do it well. And I think that it is because it probably is that I'm under pressure. My brain is, you know, is going constantly and that's almost easier for me as someone with ADHD than sitting down to write which when I am not under pressure and I am off you know just going off of my own speed and my own uh, steam and my own timetable that's a lot harder for me so actually I I'm probably just realizing that now as we're talking you know I definitely I always look for efficiencies you know in life in work and it's one of the things where I don't necessarily feel that I'm the smartest person in the room in everything I do, but my brain works in such a way, probably because a little bit because of the impatience, but also I can think a bit more dynamic or more dynamically, I can think dynamically. And, you know, I, I can, I'm always looking for a, what's a better way to do this? What makes more sense? Why are we talking about this? Why are we, you know, not using our time more valuably? Why do we do this? And that I think is a, a big strength that comes out of the way I think. So those are, you know, some of, of the many positives. Incredible. And some of the bigger, biggest barriers, because you mentioned almost, I think, it, as I hear it, um, you went from a high pressure job almost where on a daily basis, maybe you just got carried with it, right? You were in the moment, you had lots to do, go, 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 um, to a point of where maybe you had to step back, be more strategic, um, some additional leadership skills. I'm, 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 I'm guessing some of this, right? So you tell me the, the reality of it. Uh, sometimes for others, it may be um, going being pulled into more of the detail and the operational element might be more difficult. So I'm just fascinated to hear around that journey for you from actually it's the increase in responsibility in roles, in extra activities, in um, child getting older that may have become some uh, additional barriers for you. Can you share some of your thoughts around that? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely the need to be really self-motivated and it's still something I struggle with, like literally daily with almost everything I do. I don't know if this is, I would be so interested to know if this is a common thing with ADHD. I can be so unself-motivated that I can look at a glass of water on my bedside table and think I should take that downstairs and not take it downstairs because there is this bizarre laziness in me that I can't explain even though there's no effort required to take it downstairs and I'm quite sure that that is an ADHD thing but that translates in my daily life into having to push through certain things you know all of us in our day jobs in our lives have stuff we don't want to do and finding the drive to do that sometimes feels such a barrier that I can't make sense of it And sometimes it's not a big job. I remember I needed to send an email on something and it was like a three line email, probably not even that. And I had this, I was just like stuck and I could go and do a huge project and do a comedy show and chair a meeting and do all this stuff. But for some reason, this one small one line email just felt like this huge hurdle. And that happens to me a lot. And that is something I'm still working to overcome. Um, just to segue a little bit, I was, uh, on Ritalin, which helped me massively with that, but I've had to stop taking it. So now I'm trying to self-manage, um, and find other coping mechanisms. Brilliant. And that's a nice segue. Cause I am fascinated by that. Um, cause we've spoken in the past and, um, I, I was aware that you were on Ritalin and, um, you know, there's, there's a shortage of drugs for ADHD as well, which is fascinating, right? Because um, there's a big need, right? That people are in desperate need for uh, interventions, a variety of different interventions. And I'm fascinated because I have a child who's a, a girl who's autistic and ADHD and dyslexic and dyscalculic, uh, lots of labels, too many labels, right? Very much like me in some respects, but she's a girl, which is clearly very different in other respects. So I'm fascinated by uh, experiences specifically of women and girls around the experience of of drugs to help with ADHD or other ND traits. Can you just elaborate on some of your thoughts and experiences that you'd be happy to share? And clearly everyone is different, right? That's why I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, everyone's different. And if the medication works for you, as it did for me for almost a year, amazing, amazing. I I was finding that the medication was amazing when it was in my system, but as it started to leave my system, which I essentially is withdrawal, I don't know what you would call that, um, as it, you know, it had done its job and, and then was, you know, a few hours later, no longer doing its job, I would feel horrendous. Now, what's interesting and what I can't answer is how I managed that for a year and then suddenly couldn't. I don't, I cannot pinpoint that. And I feel almost a bit of a fraud because I was such an advocate for it. And then one day just stopped being an advocate for it. I, and what was happening was I was having these lows that would send, I felt ill all the time when that, you know, once the Ritalin has run out, I was taking more of it to, you know, not feel like that and it was affecting it was affecting my work in some ways because there would be points in the day where I was exhausted because you know it's a stimulant when it um when you 
stops working, you you have a low, and I was very, very tired. I would have to just stop and do nothing um, for a really long time. And then it was affecting comedy because I kind of had three things that would happen. Either I would still have the Ritalin in my system, in which case I was far too kind of hyper and shaky to really be relaxed and funny, or it was coming out of my system, in which case I had this horrible low and could barely focus and barely think, obviously that's not conducive to comedy. Or a third option, and what I was doing is I would have a couple of drinks before the show with the other comedians to try and kind of mute the effects of the Ritalin and counterbalance them. And then I was tipsy, which doesn't really do me much good either. So I do still like a drink before the show, but, uh, you know, more of a well-managed one. And none of, you know, and, and these things were just, was not a good situation for me to be in. And it was every single time and every single day. And again, I don't know how I suddenly just one day clicked. I did have a a conversation with a friend where he referred back to a conversation that we had had. And he said, oh, you know, you keep saying this. Um, It was just a general joke between he and I. And he said, you keep making this joke every time we see each other, Um, just banter between friends. And he said, and it's kind of not funny anymore. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't, not I don't remember I'm not really aware that I had been saying that and I think I've not been present when I've been with my friends if I am not really even remembering what was happening because of this feeling that the Ritalin was giving me and I that was the turning point for me that was when then I was like okay if I can't even remember what my friend is referring to because I'm spaced out all the time something has to change and I stopped cold turkey it was about less than a month ago and um, have not returned to it but now I have another challenge because I have to learn to make up for the benefits of Ritalin and that's something I'm still working on. Wonderful I I'm really appreciate you sharing that experiences because I think we need all experiences there's a lack of research and evidence on the impact of drugs Uh, to support ADHD or any other ND traits, for example, specifically for women um, and and for young girls as well. So I think to share these experiences, we can start to provide some additional experiences where we don't yet have the evidence-based research to go on. So um, thank you. And again, just to highlight, every individual's experience is different. And some people have such a great need for um, intervention that a drug may literally be life-saving in that instance. So just to caveat that. 100%. Um, so uh, let me just ask then, what when, you've, when you're thinking of being a um, parent, managing so many things as you do, and you're ADHD, yay! <laughs> um, but your child is not, right? How does that play out? Because I have a, I have a balanced experience, but... Um, yeah, I'm fascinated by those experiences and anything you'd like to share of being like an ADHD parent for a, for a neurotypical child. Absolutely. So long before I was diagnosed, we always had this joke that she was the adult in the relationship, um, which now, of course, makes a lot of sense. So, yes, she is, as far as I know, as far as I'm aware, neurotypical. She has great concentration. She's super organized. 
um, you know, she keeps me in line a lot of the time. And she is aware of my ADHD. I talk about it all the time. Um, sometimes, you know, I think she talks to her friends. Oh, my mum has ADHD. And I don't think it's something that is a negative. It does affect certain things. You know, it's hard if you're wired a particular way to sit down and play a board game, for example, you know, to sit and watch a movie. That's not something I do myself. It's therefore hard for me to sit and watch a movie with my daughter because my concentration isn't good, which is where Ritalin was helping. I'm now having to self-manage. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's an element for all parents that kids stuff is not always the most interesting thing. Um, but, you know, I have to really manage that. And the way that I manage it is that with my daughter, we do things we both enjoy. Um, there is no point me, I shouldn't say there's no point. I would really struggle to try and engage with something that required a lot of focus, that was not something that I could get my brain around. Um so we do things. She's also an actress and she likes to sing and dance. We do, we do a lot of karaoke. We dance at home. And that's kind of my way around it. Um, I used to find meal times hard. So just to be very candid, my daughter eats very slowly. She always has done. It's only her and I that eat together. And I have the attention span of a housefly sometimes. Um, and we had to overcome that because... It's very hard to sit for two hours when you are somebody that has a 30 second attention span. So things like that are really a challenge for me. Um, and I used to really beat myself up about it. Sometimes I still do, honestly. Um, but I'm learning to understand that things don't have to be conventional. We find ways around it. We do act different activities when we're together. We spend time differently from perhaps how other families do and that really works for us both incredible and do you find that the comedy is a real outlet as well because sometimes i think in the world that we live in in the structure of the world that we live in one of the biggest challenges i face is i probably i probably should be out walking more i probably should be out on stage more i probably should be out doing my time should be filled more with activity but by nature of a family makeup and stuff, it, 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 some of these and the world that we live in, the infrastructure and environments, and it, you can't always do that. And I think I wonder whether the comedy um, and the structure that you've created for your life now enables you to have that outlet that, that possibly can be really productive for your well-being, your brain, almost like this, um, um, yeah, this... Um, uh, what would you call it? Um, well, ability to get some stuff out of your head as well, right? The noise, the constant, because yes. of the way that you've structured that life now. Tell us, tell us your thoughts on that. I mean, I cannot even explain the extent to which it has changed my mental health. So I suffered anxiety for years. I mean, to the point where during my pregnancy, I was almost hospitalized. I was, had such bad anxiety. It plagued me before that. It plagued me afterwards. Um, it certainly got a lot better um, in my mid-30s. But it was only when I started doing comedy that it completely transformed me. Um, I referred earlier to the dating thing. I, you know, I was heavily dating. I think that's quite common when you're first divorced. You think, oh, well, I must find my next partner because that's how life should look. Um, as I said, and I genuinely was going on three dates a day. I was on the dating apps all the time. And it was, 
I'm not gonna it wasn't making me miserable but it certainly wasn't making me happy and it wasn't the outlet that I needed and then I discovered comedy and there's I would go as far as to say I'm never really anxious anymore I am completely out of my own head because I'm able to get on stage you know and if I of course we all have stuff that happens and stuff that worries us but if nothing else at least while I'm there while I'm at the comedy club watching the other comedians and particularly when I perform myself it's such a release I'm not thinking about whatever it is that's worrying me and you know I'm so so fortunate to have that outlet that makes me so happy that's brilliant and I always talk about my early days in acting where my therapy uh, because a lot of the stuff I was getting up to was negative and having a negative impact on my mental health and well-being. The the acting, the performing, that was the therapy part of it. It was you know using up the energy and also in a positive way, and being able to share feelings. In in, in that instance, as I could be someone else, I could share anger through a part that was meant to be angry, right? So that was okay for me to share that anger in that part, yep. or happen or whatever. Well, now as an adult, uh, from from what I've seen, you can share those emotions as comedy, right? And and it's it's this, it's a yeah. similar thing. It's sharing those emotions in a way that's acceptable and actually funny for a lot of people because you're saying the things that they may not want to say or maybe feel uncomfortable saying. And so I love that. I wonder how many other and we know this is true. Other opportunities, and I'm sharing this for people to think about, and you can share afterwards with us um things that provide you with that therapy and it may be equine therapy you know it may be having a horse or going to the stables it may be um a dog or a, a cat or whatever a pet therapy um or all the other things that we should be supporting individuals to do that maybe that is going to have the biggest impact forget about medical intervention this is just life intervention stuff that was meant to be on this planet helping us to be the people we were meant to be i think there's something in that that i i, I love uh, and therefore i love you sharing that experience and story absolutely and i'm i'm a horribly annoying friend because if any of my friends suffer from anxiety or they're feeling not themselves i say get a hobby get a hobby and you know i know how irritating that is to hear from someone but i i am truly as you exactly what you said of the view that it is probably the best possible thing any one of us can do amazing i mean they're quite this is quite a nice place to, to round up today but any other thoughts as we wrap up for today any specific pieces of advice um thoughts about adhd life in general what you'd like to kind of leave people thinking about and and then also we can share your um instagram um title as well so people can find you and watch your incredible work sure look I think that one thing I recommend and and being neurodiverse is already sets you on the path for this is have an extraordinary life if you can you know don't you know when I talked about parenting for example things don't have to be conventional don't beat yourself up about not doing things the way that other people do them embrace things being different you know those are the stories that people actually love to hear and and remember you know those are the things that will your kids will remember and uh, you know and that people will know about you so I think that not worrying about conforming and embracing the things that make you different 
is the best possible thing and not embracing also accepting is the best possible thing any one of us can do um don't beat yourself up about things you know everybody's different and some people are not talking about those things I am a massive advocate as well for transparency. Talk about what's going on in your life. Talk to the people around you. If it's work, talk to your boss, talk to your friends. You know, don't keep things inside. If it's something you're that, you know, if you are comfortable to, to share those experiences, because you will come to learn that so many people have so many things going on and so many challenges. And yeah, that's what makes us all unique and interesting. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sasha. You've been incredible. Um, just let us thank know you. what is that Instagram uh, title that people can find you on? Yes, I am Sasha Frank Comedy on Instagram. I am a millennial, so I don't know if I'm supposed to say Sasha underscore Frank underscore comedy. I'm not sure, but it's Sasha Frank Comedy. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> amazing and please do go and find Sasha Sasha please. really appreciate you your time your energy your effort what you do what you're about it's been a real pleasure getting you on today thank you so much for having me Theo it's been fantastic you've been listening to neurodiversity with Theo Smith please do sign up get involved uh, write some comments Give us five stars if you think you like the show and do share it with others. We've grown significantly this year and we would like to grow further and get out to as many people as possible. And by all means, if you want to be on the show, if you've got some ideas, please let us know. Also, sign up for Neurodiversity with Theo Smith on YouTube and you'll be able to watch more insights, entertaining, fun and great videos to help you within the workplace and within life. See you soon.